Okay, let's get started. So we are on Pay Aleph Lamed Aleph 81A, and we are five lines down. There's just two dots. The two dots goes like this. It's the Mishnah taught us that if you eat and drink, to, in other words, you eat a food and you drink a liquid, and together it reaches the requisite share of what you're not allowed, the requisite measure of what you're not allowed to eat or drink on Yom Kippur. It is not mitzarif, it does not combine to meet the measurement. Mantana, who is the author of this Mishnah? It's really a machlekes, it is a dispute. Or Rabbi Yeshua, he enters the opinion of Rabbi Yeshua. Because we learned in a Mishnah. Klal, Amr Rabbi Yeshua, a principle, Rabbi Yeshua taught. Anytime you have two different types of tumma, right? You have a tumma, something that's ritually impure, which is impure with the impurity of, um, let's um, hypothetically, it's not actually true, of a dead body and something which is ritually impure with the impurity of, um, of touching a dead, uh, a dead, a creepy crawly animal, right? If their tumma status was the same, in other words, what would happen when somebody becomes tame? through touching either of these items is actually the same halacha. And there's shiuro or shava, that in terms of what measurement it is, it's the same measurement. Then mitztarif, then it can actually become as one to render it, the amount to make other things tummy. But however, mitztarif, let's say the tumma is on the same level as the other one, but the measurement, the required measurement for it to impart impurity is less than the other Type of tumma and the other object that is tummy, or or it is um, it, the measurement is the same, but the tumma status is going to be different depending on what type of tumma is imparted. Low right? Let's say neither thing is shavin, and it is not the same in terms of the requisite measure to impart impurity, and is not the same in terms of the level of impurity that it will impart. In mitzdarfin, then it will not combine to reach the requisite measure. If not, so what we're trying to say right now is, is that presumably our Mishnah that says you cannot be mitzvah of food and drink, the reason why the Mishnah says that is because we find by Tumah, the position of Rabbi Yoshua, that when you try to combine different objects that have different statuses, right, in terms of the, res the necessary measurement to be in violation of the prohibition of Tumah, right, so when that does not work. So too, when you try to combine eating and drinking on Yom Kippur, the eating measurement is a kikosavasagasa, a large sized date. The drinking measurement is the size of your one cheekful. So the reason why it doesn't combine must be because we're going like Rabbi Yeshua, who says you cannot combine things if they have different measurements. Maybe the Chachamim only argued over there was they said that when it comes to different types of ritual impurity, the shame Tumah Chadi, ultimately at the end of the day, it's all one type of Tumah. Tum, not all one type of Tumah, but it's all Tumah. And Tumah and Tumah and Tumah, it's all the same on some level. And therefore, they can all be mitztarif, they can all be combined. However, when it comes to the question over here, they cannot combine to make a, um, to, even the Chachamim would agree that over here, they cannot combine because they actually have a completely different status of what you're trying to do with it. What are you trying to do with it? Well, the measurement of how much you have to eat and how much you have to drink is the measurement that you feel some level of, uh, of if the, your body feels, your mind feels a little bit of the edge taken off. And that will then take away from your inoi, from your afflicted state. Well, that's actually going to be different. The measurement of food, the measurement of water, it's just different measurements of what's going to actually cause you to lose that edge. So therefore, you can't combine them. So even the Chachamah would agree over here, you can't combine them. Also said it is dependent on a dispute. Rabbi Yeshua, he opinion of Rabbi Yeshua. It's not. Klal, Amr Rabbi Yeshua, says the same thing. 
At which Rabbi Yechonon responded the same response as we just had before. You even say exactly the same conversation again. The question just is not just the later Amorayim had this same shackle of Atari, this back and forth, but even the earlier Amorayim, Rabbi Yechonon Mishlakish, had the same conversation and said that ultimately our Mishnah that says that you cannot combine food and drink can be either according to the opinion of Rabbi Yeshua or according to the opinion of the Chachamim. Let's say you eat and drink the requisite measure in one state of forgetfulness. We only bring one carbon chatas. We don't say, well, listen, you ate and drank three times. You have to bring three carbon chatases. If it's in one state of forgetfulness, you only bring one chatas for that entire time of eating. Now, however, if you eat on Yom Kippur and you also do a malacha in a state of forgetfulness, then you're going to be liable to bring two karbanos. Let's say you eat a food item that is not really able to be eaten, or you drink a drink that is not really able to be drunk, right? It doesn't taste good at all. Um, so what will happen? Um, or if you um, drink morias uh, or tear, which is like brines and, and salad dressings, any of these cases, when you eat something that's not really a food item, when you drink something that's not really a drink item, when you do so on Yom Kippur, you will be patur, you will be exempt. Why? Rishlakash says like this. What, there's a, a principle in Jewish law. The principle is like this. When the Torah forbids something, for us to get a punishment on a Torah level for something that is wrong, the Torah has to tell us once the warning not to do it, and another time has to tell us what the punishment for said action is. Now, it does not say explicitly a warning not to do an action on Yom Kippur. What it says is, and you shall afflict your soul. It doesn't warn you, and you, if you don't, you will get punished. It doesn't say that. So Shalakar says, why doesn't it say that? It's not possible to say it. What does that mean? Where would you write it? If the Torah would say, don't eat, if we'd said don't eat, I would have thought to say that you can't eat even once it gets to a gazayas, you can't eat, right? That's what I would have thought to say. So it would have just said don't eat. It would not have understood what it meant. Let's say it would have said don't afflict yourself. Well, don't afflict yourself actually implies go eat. So what would you have wanted to say? It should say safeguard yourself so that you don't come, so that you don't come to not afflicting yourself, right? Then I would end up with three different laven. There would be three different prohibitions associated with eating on Yom Kippur. Why? Because these are all languages of a lav. Hishamar is a language of a prohibition. Um, al, pen are all languages of not doing something. Maybe the Torah could have written, be careful when it comes to the mitzvah of afflicting yourself. Well, then what I would have said is that perhaps it's only an assay, perhaps it's only a, uh, a positive commandment, what we call a bitl assay, uh, a negating a positive commandment if you would eat on Yom Kippur. Why? Because if it says hishamer regarding a mitzvah's assay, then you're only left with a assay. If it says hishamer regarding a mitzvah's lois assay, you're left with a lois assay. Maskevla Ravashi, Ravashi then asks a powerful question. Nechtev al tasur min ha'inu. Why can't I write, do not turn away from being in a state of aninus, in a state of uh, affliction? Kasha, indeed, that is going to be a question. But Tana, a different Tana learns it out from here. 
and you shall afflict your souls. And all work shall not be done. You shall not do. I might have thought to say that there is a onish, a a uh, a punishment even on the tesefas melacha. Now, what's tesefas melacha? Okay, so here's here's a very interesting topic, a very important topic that comes up once a week. The halacha is that Shabbos begins, Yom Kippur begins, Yom Tov begins. When do these things begin? They be, they begin at Shkia. The question is, what is Shkia? Shkia means when the sun goes down. It's unclear what that's referring to. Now, there's something else, though. Even if we determined exactly when it began, there is a concept, as we will be learning over the next Amr or so, there's a concept called Tosefes Shabbos, Tosefes Yom Tov, Tosefes Yom Kippur. Tosefes means to add on. There is a mitzvah, the Arisa, as we will see, to actually add on. So let's say we knew exactly when sunset is on the Torah level and that day, day turns into night, and then it is starting to be Shabbos. We still would have to add on a couple more minutes before and after Shabbos before and after Yom Kippur, before and after Yom Tov. So although it is actually Shabbos on a Torah level, however, there is no punishment on a Torah level for violation, not of Shabbos, right? we're not gonna talk about Shabbos right now, we're talking about Yom Kippur specifically. If somebody would not, would, um, would eat food at that time when they're not allowed to eat food anymore, they actually would not be in the same problematic zone, okay? In terms of the punishment, it's not to say it's permitted, it's definitely forbidden. So, um, First of all, there's no einish, right? This is anybody who does an act of creative action on the middle of this day will be punished with kares. But if you don't do it in the middle of this day, you do it rather in the additional time periods added to the day, then you will not get an einish kares. Rather, you will, uh, it will be forbidden, but you won't get einish kares. You know, you might have to say, perhaps the only reason why you don't get an Einish Kares when you're doing a Malacha on Erev Yom Kippur, which is already in the time period that you're supposed to be adding on to Yom Kippur, that's only true about doing a creative action. But perhaps if you actually would eat or drink, indeed, you would get an Einish Kares. Any soul who did not afflict himself, in the middle of this day, and then they will be cut off. Only during the actual middle of the day, doing the middle, we mean the essence of the day, we mean from sunset till sunset, will there be an einish of karis, will there be a punishment of getting cut off? So that's not true, right? But uh, on the other time period, when it's the added, then indeed you will not be included in terms of getting a punishment. Now, you might have to say like this, perhaps you're not going to get kares, but perhaps you'll still get malchus for doing this act during the additional time period. Therefore, the Pasuk says, and all forbidden labor you shall not do in the middle of this day. On the middle of the day, on the essence of the day is when you are forbidden to do this, but you are not warned, forewarned, not to do on the tosefas malacha on the, um, uh, during the additional time period that's added on. Well, perhaps what you would make the argument is that you will be forewarned. Indeed, you are not forewarned for doing forbidden actions on Erev Yom Kippur during the Tosefas time period, during the added on time period. But perhaps you are considered to be forewarned when it comes to the uh, not doing an act that's not fasting. So if you wanted to eat or drink during the Tosefis time period, maybe indeed it would still be Malchus. We have established it's not Kares, but maybe you still will get punishment of a lashes, corporal punishment. 
So, um, uh, one second. And all work should not be done in the middle of his day. Only, you're only forewarned for what will be done in the middle of the day and not for what will happen during the rest of the additional time period. You might have to say perhaps you're not forewarned on the work, creative action during the additional time period, but you are forewarned on eating or drinking. The Gemara says like this, it's a Kavachoma. When it comes to malacha, when it comes to creative actions, it's not just forbidden on Yom Kippur. Creative actions are forbidden on Shabbos and Yom Tov as well. And still, what's the halacha? And still, it's not going to be relevant if you violate it during the additional time period, right? So, when it comes to fasting, afflicting yourself, which is not relevant on Shabbos and Yom Tov, there's no din that you have to afflict yourself on Shabbos and Yom Tov. Is it not then a Kavachomer that you will not be forewarned for that either? Okay, so but here, the Azhara for the, one second, when it comes to the Azhara, the warning that you're not, that you have to afflict yourself on the actual day, where do we see this at all? Indeed, we would not have needed to say any sort of punishment about creative action on Yom Kippur. We should have been able to derive it from fasting. Why? When it comes to afflicting yourself, the fasting and, and uh, from food and water, it's not relevant during Shabbos and Yom Tov. And still it's a punishment of getting cut off completely. When it comes to creative actions that are also forbidden on Shabbos and Yom Tov, is it not then obvious that for sure it also gets an Einish the punishment of being cut off? So why do we need to say that you're not allowed to, to do malacha? Mufna. So it's coming to teach you mufna. It is an extra word that was not necessary. When you have an extra word that is not necessary, it becomes what we call extra. And once it's extra, you're able to make what is called a hekish, which means that you could take two different words in two different places in the Torah. One of the words seems to be superfluous and derive from there that the Torah is trying to link you to the other place where the same word is found. And to learn from here, to learn from here that these two different, seemingly unconnected, disparate topics are meant to be connected to each other. It says punishment by, by afflicting yourself, and it says a punishment when it comes to doing creative acts. Just like when it comes to doing malacha, you will only get punished if, um, if you were forewarned. So too, when it comes to afflicting yourself, you'll only get punished if you're forewarned. One could possibly challenge this. Can you really make the comparison? Inoy has a severity as well. What's Inoy's severity over uh, Inoy afflicting yourself, not eating or drinking? What is more severe about that vis-a-vis when it comes to creative act that's not as severe? Well, Creative actions are permitted sometimes on Shabbos. Inoy is never permitted on Yom Kippur. What do I mean by that? It's like this. When you were in the base of Mikdash on Shabbos, there was actually malacha that was done on a regular basis. So it's not in the category of something that can never be done at all on Shabbos. Whereas afflicting yourself can never be done on Yom Kippur at all. So rather, you don't need to say you don't need to say a punishment by afflicting yourself because you could have derived it from forbidden actions, creative actions. Just like malacha, which is which is completely, sometimes it is permitted, and still it has a punishment of death penalty. When it comes to afflicting yourself, where it is never going to be permitted, is it not then obvious that it's going to have the punishment of kares? 
Lama Nemar, so why indeed do we need to say the punishment also by Enoi when we really could have derived it from forbidden act, creative actions? Mufna, indeed it must be extra. Lahakish, to teach you that you should make a comparison between the two topics. But Lodun Mimena, Xera Shava, so that you can learn out from one to the other, Xera Shava. A, a, uh, the topics are supposed to be meant, are meant to teach you from one to the other. It says Einish when it comes to Inoi. It says Einish when it comes to um, it says a punishment when it comes to Inoi, which is uh, you know that when you don't afflict yourself properly on Yom Kippur. And it says a punishment when it comes to doing creative actions on Yom Kippur. Just like uh, the Malacha creative actions, you are forewarned and also the punishment will be stated. So to the afflicting yourself, if you don't afflict yourself, they will be punished and it will be forewarned. One can challenge this. Malacha is forbidden even on Shabbos and Yom Tov. You can't compare that to Enoi, to afflicting yourself, which is not forbidden on Shabbos and Yom Tov. In fact, on the contrary, you're not allowed to afflict yourself, right? So he says like this. He says the etzem that it says in both places, in the middle of this day, that is going to be extra. If it was not going to be extra, it, then it would have been, if it would not have been extra, then we would have been able to ask questions on it. The rule is like this. When it, sometimes the, what the Gemara will try to do is the Gemara will say you have two words in different places in the Torah, and we have a tradition that you're supposed to learn from one to the other, right? You compare them. And the Gemara will sometimes challenge that. What the Gemara will say to that in response is that if one of those words is clearly superfluous, then any challenge is rendered completely moot. There's no such thing as challenging a, a heckish a, a comparison from two different words in two different places. If the, sorry, if it, the same word in two different places, unless that word is not extra. If the word is extra, there's no such thing as challenging. You have to fold all your cards, right? So over here, what we're saying is, is that the word, the word atzim is completely extra and therefore there's no challenging. Now, where indeed is it extra? Chamisha It's five sukkim written, five verses written about malacha. Chadla azara, what do you mamach? One is to teach you that you are forewarned for not doing do not doing malacha during the day. Chadla azara, the lele. One is to teach you that you're not allowed. You have to be forewarned that you can't do malacha at night. Chadla inish the mamach. One is to teach you that you will get punished if you do it during the day. Chadla inish the lele. And one is to teach you the punishment for doing it at night. Chadla afnuye lemigmar inoy mi malacha. And one of them is actually to teach you that you should be able to learn out inoy from Malacha, the afflicting yourself from Malacha, from a case of where is creative action. Whether it is in the morning, whether it is at night. Rabbi Shmuel taught in the house of Rabbi Shmuel, the Bismarck of Rabbi Shmuel, they taught. It's written over here, afflict yourself. It's written over there, afflict yourself. Just like over there, it means don't you will not get punished unless you are actually warned. So to over here, you will not get punished unless you are warned. You should learn out Shabbos, 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 it's the Shabbos of Shabbos, it should be from the Shabbos Barashas, from the Shabbos of creation. Just like over there, it would only have gotten punished if Hashem would have warned Adam and Chava first. So to over here, you will only get punished if you are forewarned. My Papa, my Papa says, turning the page now, who gufe Shabbos ikri. This itself is called Shabbos. That you shall rest on this uh, your Shabbos. Bishlamer of Papa Leyamar Kervachabayakov. If Papa did not want to say like Kervachabayakov, the Krodik Siv Begufe Adif, he would rather learn out from a verse that's explicit about this topic. Why didn't he want to learn like Rav Papa, who has a verse that is actually within this very principle, and you don't have to go to another place? 
Mibayle like the Tanya, he needed it for something else. Like the Tanya, for that which we learned in the Brisa. And you shall afflict your souls on the ninth of the month. You might have thought to say you have to fast on the ninth day of, of, of Tishrei as well. Therefore, the Pasuk says, at the night time you should fast. If it's only at the night time, I might have thought to say that only once it's actually night time after the sunset. Therefore, the Pasuk says, also on the night. Kate said, how do you reconcile these two? You can't fast the entire ninth day because it says at nighttime you should fast. But what do you do with the fact that it does also say that you should fast on the ninth? What do you do? You have to add a little bit on and fast on the ninth day as well. right? But not the whole ninth day, just part of it. From here we see that you add on from the mundane, from the, profit, uh, the um, mundane to the holy. You only see from here that you add on at the beginning. How do you know that you add on at the end? Also, therefore, the pasuk says, It says from the night until the night. We only see from here Yom Kippur. How do you know that also on a regular Yom Tov you also have to add on before and after? Therefore, the pasuk says, Tishbit two that you shall rest. So here you see only Yom Tovim. Shabbos is benign. How do you know that also Shabbos? Tamalim are Shabbat Chem, your Shabbos. Okay, it's at Kalmak Mishnah Shavos. Anytime it says the word Shavos, you shall rest. From here we see that you're going to have to add on from the weekday and to the holy. And we also taught the Atsim Atsim. What do you do with the fact that it says on the Atsim Atsim when it comes to the ninth day of the month? What do you do with that? You need it for that which he taught. And you shall afflict yourselves on the ninth day. And do you fast on the ninth day of, Yom, of, of Tishrei? You fast on the tenth day. Beautiful idea. Anybody who fasts on the ninth, I'm sorry, anybody who eats and drinks and rejoices on the ninth day of Tishrei, Hashem looks at it as if you have fasted on the ninth day as well. But what does that mean? How could that possibly be? That's a famous conversation. Uh, not not for the Dafyomi topic, but it's a beautiful idea that we can understand from that idea. If somebody eats food that is not possible to be eaten, it's not really a food item. If someone is chewing on peppercorns and kippur, they are exempt. It's not called eating. If somebody is chewing on, I think Zangvila is fenugreek, on Yom Kippur, Potter, he is exempt. From the fact that pepper can be eaten. When it says a tree of eating, it's telling you it is a type of tree that the wood and the fruit are similar. This is referring to a peppercorn tree. So we see is that pepper can be eaten. To teach you that a pepper tree is also liable to Arla. It has to be uh, the first three years cannot be eaten from. And Eretz Yisrael is not missing anything. It says, it's not missing anything. So what the Gemara is asking is that it seem, seemingly this is actually considered to be an eitz meichel, a food type of item. Pepper is considered to be a food item. The pepper is a food item. Why are you allowed to chew it on your kipper? When I've never tasted this before, but maybe Earl has. If you take um, moist, ripened uh, peppercorns, they actually have a good taste to them, or not a good taste, but they have some sort of a taste to them, and they're considered more like a food item. What we're referring to here is if you take some nice dried peppercorns and you start chewing them on Yom Kippur, it's not a smart thing to do, but it's also not a violation of the Torah prohibition.
Amalei Ravina le Marimar. But Amr Rav Nachman, Hai Himlasa, the Asi Mibei Indui, Sharia Amavarchinan Allah by Rabbi Adama. He says the Himlasa, which is um, some sort of a litariga, that they would actually um, spice it and then they would put it into honey, right? So this thing is um, Dasi from, from the east, from, uh, from Hindu. Sharia, it is permitted. You make a very piyadam on it. Same idea, where it, depending on what type of situation it's in, is it the moist one or is it the dried one? It will either be a food item or not a food item. We learned in the kanim. If you eat the, the leaves of kanim, of reeds, potter, you're exempt. If you eat the, the leaves of... Um, of grapevines, chayv, reliable. These are the grapevines. Anything that has had time from until from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur, until 10 days. But if it had already become picked before Yom, before Rosh Hashanah, then it's not going to be considered to still have a, 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 enough of a flavor that it's a food item. It's 30 days time period, and then it will no longer be considered to be a food item. We learned in a rice like Ritzak Magdala. If you eat the leaves of um of, of Lulavim, uh, I'm sorry, of Kanim, of um of reeds, you're exempt. If you eat the grapevines, leaves of grapevines, then you're liable. These are the the, the grapevines that you're going to be liable for. Anything that was picked already before Rosh Hashanah to from Yom Hashanah until Yom Kippur. Just that Sirai Morius Potter, if you drink brine or some sort of a marinade, you're going to be exempt. The implication would be that if you drank plain vinegar, you would be liable on Yom Kippur. This must be the opinion of Rebbe. The Tanya we learned in Abraisa. Um, vinegar calms down the soul. Darash of Gidl Bar Menasha, Mibiri, the Narash. Rabbi Gidl Bar Menasha said from Biri, the Narash, that Allah is not like Rebbe. And in other words, he said that you're allowed, seemingly that you're allowed to drink vinegar. He didn't actually say that though, it was very carefully. He said that you're exempt from drinking it. The next year, what happens is everybody takes some vinegar, they dilute it, and they drink it on Yom Kippur. Shama Rav Gido, Rav Gido, here's what they did. The Ikbet, he got terribly furious with them. He says, Amar, Amar, the Amriya, no, the Yavid, the Chachila. Did I say you should do this, the Chachila, that you're completely permitted to do this, Ab and Ishio? Me, Amri, Amar, the Amri, I'm not Porta Tuva. First of all, I said a little bit. You guys drank a lot. Second of all, all I said is when it's when it's completely undiluted and you guys diluted it. Second of all, I, third of all, I never said you could do it, that you should just go ahead and actually do this from the first place. I was just saying you're potter from a carbon, you're exempt from a carbon. So for three reasons, you guys messed up. I think we see two things from the story. First of all, we see that people oftentimes will take something that someone said and they'll take a leap of uh, faith kind of almost where they'll say oh probably what he meant is x y and z and then they'll permit things for themselves and so rabbi says things says x is permissible permissible and people say oh if x is permissible y is permissible too do not jump to conclusions i think the other thing that we see from the story is how important it is for a rabbi to be very careful with how he gives over the psaac to be incredibly clear about what is permitted what's not permitted so that people don't make a mistake and think that he said something more than he really said uh, actually, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, turning the page, Pei Beis Ahmed Aleph, 82a. Hatinikis ein ma'anen aisem v'yemikipurim. 
children, we do not afflict them by forcing them to fast. However, when it comes to one to two years before Yom Kippur, we then start getting them involved in the process of fasting so that they will be regal to do mitzvahs. They'll be regal, it will be something that they do, habituated to do mitzvahs. Well, if we said that even two years before Yom Kippur, we already start getting them used to it by causing them a little bit of fasting time period. Well, then certainly in, if it's only one year, they're going to have to fast for a little bit because if they have to fast for two, then of course they have to fast for one, right? So, um, there's no question. One of them is talking about someone who is a chola, one of them is talking about someone who's a bari. One time we're talking about someone who is sick. If they're sick, a sickly child, they only start getting ready to fast on Yom Kippur one year before they start getting into the process. But if they're not a sickly child, healthy child, in two years before they should already start fasting part of the day. Ravuna says, if you're eight years old or nine years old, we already start accustoming you by having you fast for hours into the day. Not the whole day, but not, but not even a large portion of the day, but some hours. Question on, question on the last part, sorry. Yeah. Kids who are sick. We don't have adults who are sick fast on Yom Kippur, right? That's the... Yeah, sorry, actually, yes, yeah, so sick it depends what you mean by sick, right? So, unless you're actually sick, you have to fast in your kipper. If it's some sort of a level of, of uh, you know, where it can lead to second fascist, you don't fast in your kipper. But we're, we'll see that soon. But what that, that thing is for adults, so what we're talking about right now is that if you have a child who's a weak child, there's no reason to get them sick before Yom Kippur. It will have to be what it will have to be, but we're only going to start one year before Yom Kippur, no reason to start any earlier. In other words, it really gets into more of a fundamental question. When we talk about doing chinuch, we talk about um, engaging kids in, in part of the mitzvah earlier, before their bar or bat mitzvah, what exactly are we trying to do? Are we trying to get them ready for what will happen later? Or are we trying to get the whole mindset happening already, right? So if you're talking about doing a positive action, okay, you're just trying to get the mindset aware of it. But if you're talking about fasting, perhaps there's a concept of you want to get them accustomed to this idea of afflicting yourself. Well, there's a benefit and a, and a risk, right? So therefore, for someone who's not, not a particularly robust or vital young man or young lady, you should only start one year in advance. Ben Yud, Ben Yud Aleph, Mashlimim Midraban, 10 or 11, depending on if you're a boy or a girl, you already start finishing it on a rabbinic command. Ben Yud Bez, Mashlimim Midraban, for a 12-year-old, once you girl, has to finish on a Torah level. But for 11-year-old, a 13-year-old boy on a Daraisa level on then he has to finish it. Rav Nachman Amar Ben Tes Ben Yud Mechan Chenais in the Shais. Rav Nachman says, nine-year-old girl, ten-year-old boy, you should start getting them ready. Ben Yud Al Ben Yud Beis Mashlimu Drabban and eleven and twelve, they should finish it on a Torah, on a rabbinic level. Ben Yud Beis Ben Yud Gimel Mashlimu Medaraisa Betinik, and he says a little bit of a different language that thirteen-year-old boy, he needs to start fasting fully on a Torah level. Rav Yechon Amar Hashlama Drabban and Leka says no such thing as Hashlama Medraban. Ben, the, the, you have to finish it on rabbinic level. Ben Yud, Ben Yud Aleph, Mechan Chanaisei Lashois. When he's 10 or 11, then you should start getting him prepared by having him fast for some hours. Ben Yud Beis, Mashlimen Midaraisa. When he gets to 12, that's it. He fasts on a Torah level. Uh, a girl fasts on a Torah level. Tanan, we learned in our Mishnah. We do not actually afflict on Yom Kippur. You start getting them prepared one year and two years in advance. You could say between one year and between two years before, but one is talking about uh, on a Torah level, one is talking about on the rabbinic level. Which, one, which, which year before are you talking about? One year before the rabbinic, one year before the Torah. Two years before the Torah. 
says that you never finish fasting on rabbinic level. So what do you, what's the one and two? What's the what's the difference? What do we mean to say one year or two years? What we mean to say is one or two years that get close to its final year, to the time when it'll be fully fasting. We do not afflict them on Yom Kippur. However, we get them used to this either one year or two close to their time period. According to this makes sense. This doesn't make sense because they hold that you actually fast the entire Yom Kippur on a rabbinic level before you turn 12 or 13. What's your question? When it says chinuch, it doesn't mean partial fasting. It means a full fasting, but on a chinuch level, right? In other words, you're getting them used to it. And how do you get them used to it? By doing it. What do you mean? That's not called chinuch. That's hashlama. That's finishing it. That's not just getting them accustomed. But Tanya, when we said that the definition of chinuch is on, in the Raisa we taught, and nobody, no Amir is going to argue on this, is that the definition of getting you somewhat accustomed to it is that if typically eats two hours into the morning, eats three hours into the morning. Push them off a little bit, get them used to the concept. Rabbi says, what do you mean? The definition of chinuch is, is context dependent. And sometimes it's going to mean add additional time before they eat the beginning meal of the day. And so there's no mean fasting the entire day as a way of getting you inaugurated into the mitzvah. A obra who smells food on Yom Kippur. This is, we're getting, sort of getting into uh, Elliot's topic, right? So a, a pregnant woman who smells food on Yom Kippur, right? a pregnant woman is supposed to fast on Yom Kippur, right? Now, so she smells food and she says, I am desperate for that food. The Chachamim used to assume they had a medical reality in which what they dealt with is the assumption that if somebody is fasting and they are pregnant and they have this acute desire for food, that is like the fetus expressing itself, like the craving for pickles and ice cream, that's the fetus expressing itself. And if you do not feed the craving, then the baby might have a miscarriage. The baby might become a miscarriage, I guess we should say. Now, Let's say you have someone who is sick, right? You feed that individual based on the expert's opinion. But if there are no experts there, then you feed based on that individual's hashara, that individual's um, assessment of what exactly they need until they say, I'm feeling fine now. This Mishnah is a famous Mishnah because what it basically tells us is that we are allowed to rely on the experts, right? This is a Mishnah which had a lot of play over the last year or so, as you would imagine. We learned in a b'risa. Let's say you have a pregnant woman who smells meat that is kodesh, that is holy meat. She's not allowed to eat it. She smells pork, right? What you do is you should stick a spit into the rotev, into the gravy. And then put, shake it off and then put the spit onto her mouth. And hopefully that will help, you know, assuage her, um, her, uh, her feelings. If she now feels okay, good. And if not, then you feed her some of the actual gravy. And if then she feels okay, good. And if not, then you should feed her the actual meat. Nothing stands in the way of Pikuach Nefesh Chutz except for famous Kamara guys, right? Only three things for which we will not violate. And there are every single mitzvah and Isra in the Torah, we will violate to save a life except for these three things either worshiping idols, killing someone, or Gilead um, Arias or illicit relations. And how do you know that Abu Dazara, we will not violate Abu Dazara even to save a life? The Tanya, we learned in Arisa. It says in the Torah that you should love Hashem with all of your heart. 
Then why does it say with all your possessions? all your possessions. Why with all your heart? Sometimes you have someone who cares more about his body than he cares about his money. Then you say you have to love Hashem with all of your heart. You have some people, unfortunately, we know this is a reality. You care more about their money than they care about themselves. Then then we need to say with all of your possessions, because that would then become the, the greatest um the greatest thing that this guy cares about. Okay, good. So now we understand why it is that you have to be willing to give up your life if it comes to Abu Dazar, because it says in the Shema, with all of your hearts. So you have to be willing to give up your life. And it's the famous story with Rabbi Akiva that when Rabbi Akiva was being taken out by the Romans to be martyred, he had the smile on his face while he was saying the Shema. And everyone said, Well, well how could this be? And said, so My whole life, I wondered how will I ever fulfill that mitzvah of, of loving Hashem with all of your heart, be willing to give up your life for Hashem. And now we finally got the opportunity to do so. Now, how do you know that Shvichastam and Gilearias are also forbidden to be violated when it comes to saving a life? That they that if someone says kill someone, or else I'll kill you. If someone says uh, you know engage in illicit relations, or else I'll kill you, you have to allow yourself to be killed. So how do we know this? The Tanya we learned in Rabbi Rabbi Omer, the same way when someone gets up to kill his neighbor, so too is this matter. What is this referring to? This is referring to the Pasuk in the Torah, talking about a Naira HaMehurasa, a Naira, a woman who is a, a betrothed woman, and someone's chasing after her. It's a similar idea to someone coming to kill. What's the comparison between someone killer and a Naira HaMehurasa, an engaged woman who someone's trying to rape? Rather, it's coming to teach, and it ends up teaching from the other direction. Just like a Naira Amarasa, you're allowed to kill. If you see someone chasing a woman and he wants to sleep with her, you're allowed to kill him first. Okay. Now, to be clear, this is actually only applicable to someone who is married to someone else or to someone who is a different type of arias, someone a different type of uh, forbidden relationship. If you see somebody chasing after a woman who is forbidden from, uh, let's say, on a rabbinic level, and he wants to rape her, you're not allowed to kill him. Right? You have to try to stop him by any means necessary, but you're not allowed to kill him to stop it from happening, because then the killing of him is actually worse than allowing her to get raped. Right? But if it's going to be in violation of the Torah prohibition of, um, of illicit relations, then you have to kill him. Now, same way that's true over there. So, so too over here. Um, so too, if someone's coming to kill someone else, you're allowed to kill him to stop him from killing someone else. Just like a Rotseach, if somebody says, go kill someone else, you have to allow yourself to die rather than kill. So too, an Ayaramarasa, if somebody says to you, go sleep with that married woman, right? And the, unless I'm going to kill you, the answer is you have to allow yourself to be killed rather than sleep with that married woman because we learn one from the other. I'm turning the page now. How do you know that the Ritzach, that if someone is told you have to go kill someone else or else I'll kill you, how do you know that indeed you have to allow yourself to die? Svarahi, it's a logical conclusion. Someone came in front of Rava. Amrali said to him, Amrali Mar Dairai. Mare Dairai says, the, the person who is the master of my town said to me, Go kill that individual or else I'll kill you. What should I do? Amrali, let yourself be killed and do not kill someone else. My is the Who told you that your blood is more red than his blood? In other words, in this scenario, both of them, one of these two people is going to die. If someone is coming to kill you, you are permitted to kill them because he is the person who built the situation, built a process in which it's going to have to be a choose or die scenario, right? But over here, someone else did nothing wrong. And someone else is telling you, go kill him or else I'll kill you. So who told you that your blood's more red than his? 
two, one of these two people is going to be dead at the end of this story. Either it's going to be the person who's threatened right now or the person who he kills. Who told him that he's more valuable? Maybe his blood is redder. There was a woman who was pregnant and she came in front of Rebbe. She said, Go whisper to the fetus. Bend down, whisper to the fetus. It is Yom Kippur. They whispered it. And then indeed he stopped uh, her cravings for food went away. Even before you've been created in the baton, in the stomach, I recognized you. Is the, one, the child who was born, the great great Amora, is the child that was born that at the time that his mother was pregnant, he had a desire for food. His mother had a desire for food while she was pregnant. Kipper, they whispered, Don't eat. And indeed, we found that he did not listen and he, he abated the desire for eating. And the, the consequence of this was either the consequence or not the consequence, but the reason why is because this is who he was. He is Rabbi Echanan. Other story, that she smells some good stuff. She whispers to him and he's not listening. So they said about this individual, he is a person who has a tremendous desire for the pleasures of this world. And he's a wicked person even in the womb already. And who ended up being, it ended up being this famous price gouger. Okay, so we see over here like the, the two, the two examples being held up is Rabbi Yochanan on one side and the other side is a price gouger, right? So in case anybody is curious as to what the Torah thinks about price gougers, you get a sense right here. And it says, if the person is sick, you feed them based on what the experts say. Let's say the Chayla says, I need food. And the Rufi says, he does not need food. And is our expert opinion, he does need food. We listen to the sick person. My time, a beautiful idea, a very, very powerful idea in Tehillim. Uh, I'm sorry, in Mishlei, in Proverbs, right? That the heart knows its own pain, right? In other words, the heart has the best idea of what exactly is hurting it. So sometimes you have a doctor from their out, expert, expert opinion, but however, it's from the outside looking in, and therefore they don't recognize the need for this person to eat. And therefore they say it doesn't need to eat. But the reality is that they do need to eat and the heart recognizes that. She said, this should be obvious. What might I have thought to say? I would have thought to say, well, ultimately it's true. Yes, people know themselves very well, but maybe a doctor knows even better. That the Rofei does not know better. Doctor does not know better. The Rofei says he needs to eat. The, the sick person says, I don't need to eat. Listen to the doctor. My timer. Tunva who did not get lay. He's in a state of delirium. He's in a state of weakness. He doesn't realize he needs to eat. Tanan, we learned in our Mishnah. And a sick person, you feed it based on the expert opinions. It sounds like you only feed it if it's based on experts, but based on his own assessment, you don't feed him. Rather, what's teaching you is that only if you have two doctors, you feed him, saying they need to be fed against his wishes, you feed him. One doctor against his wishes, you don't feed him. What's the case? He says, I don't need to eat. So then they want to feed him based on one. Why didn't you feed him based on even one expert, right? One expert against him should be enough. There's one expert on the side and he himself against one other expert. So that's why you need two experts on the other side. Says he does not need it. And then if there are two experts saying that you do need to feed him, we feed him based on, on their opinion. This is also obvious. It's, it's a doubt regarding saving someone's life. And typically what we say is whenever there's a doubt about saving someone's life, we are lenient. 
There are another two doctors on his side. Two, two doctors plus him are saying they don't need to eat. Once you get to two, two is like 100, 100 is like two. It's only true when it comes to testimony. When it comes to something that's called an umdana, in other words, when it comes to eyewitness testimony, two eyewitnesses saying that we saw this happen, two eyewitnesses say it did not happen, right? There's no reason you add more eyewitnesses, it doesn't change anything. They're claiming that they saw something. They're claiming an objective reality. When it comes to an assessment, an assessment based on the best possible information, but it's not something that you visualize, it's not something that you see with an observation, then we actually do care about the, how many people are on each side, right? Crowdsourcing is true under certain circumstances. But over here, this is actually going to be suffering the fascists, right? The Gemara says, that's only true when it comes to a, an assessment for a monetary question. But when it comes to suffix the fascists, then you shouldn't do that. From the fact that it says in the end, then you feed him based on his own assessment. So clearly in the first case of the Mishnah, he also said, I need to eat. And so in both cases, he said, I need to eat. So why do we need to have Biki and two doctors saying that he needs to eat? You have to say something that's missing. This is how you read the Mishnah. The cases where he said, I don't need to eat. But if he says, I do need to eat, even if there's only, no, not two doctors, but there's only one doctor, who says he does not need to eat, you feed him based on his own information, his own assessment. Anytime a guy says, I need to eat, even if there's a hundred on the other side, we listen to him. It says, the heart knows the bitterness of its soul. We learned in a Mishnah, if there's no experts, then you feed him based on his own assessment. Time of the lack of the reason is because there's no experts. If there would be experts, then you would not do this. This is what we're saying. What is the case that he said, I don't need? Ani. But he says he does need to eat. Then if there are no Bikian, if there are no um, experts, then, um, one second. Then feed him based on his own information. Time and the lack of Bikian. The reason is because there is no experts. If there would be experts, light. Then indeed we would not listen to him. No, this I have to explain it. The cases where he said, I do not need to eat. But if he said he does, does need to eat, even if there are no witnesses, no experts at all, Klal, Machilin, Isaiah, Piatsma, you feed him based on his own information, his own assessment. It says, The heart knows the bitterness of its soul, right? A very potent, powerful saying. Okay, so we're going to stop over here. Um, I'll leave you the rest for Shabbos. It's more of a